And we are live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Hospitality Net Technology World Panel session in partnership with us at Tech Talk Travel. Today's topic is discussing whether we as an industry need to do a shift delete leading to a technology reset. Uh, the World Panel on Hospitality Net had a varying difference of opinions submitted, which is great because it offers a number of different perspectives on the topic. If you haven't already seen those, make sure to jump over to hospitality.net and check them out. I think you'll find that they're really interesting to read. I'm really excited about today's panel because we have two technology leaders. We have a student, a teacher, and a technology provider joining us to discuss the issue at hand. So let me start by introducing our panel. And I'll start with our panel champ, which is Ian Miller. Ian, how are you? Great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Andre. Excellent. And joining us as well from EHL is Anna-Sophia Stimfel, who is a, a final year student at EHL, right, Anna-Sophia? Exactly. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Thanks for joining. And then we also have Adam Harris, who is the CEO and founder at Cloudbeds, based out of uh, San Diego, right? Adam, still in San Diego? That's correct. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Good, good. And we also then have Andrew Evers, who is the group IT director or manager at Red Carnation Hotels. Andrew, great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Andre, excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And last but not least, we've got Floor Bleeker, who is the uh, group uh, or chief technology officer at Accor and also current sitting president of HTNG. Floor, great to have you joining us. Good to see you. Okay, so let's get started uh, to kick things off. And I'll quickly run through uh, Ian's question on, and, and basically to discuss how we got to this point today. And as panel chair, Ian posted the following question, which is shift delete, do we need a massive reset? <clears throat> Following or from the days of Holidex, Fidelio V6 and Micros 2700, we have for the last 30 years been adding technology upon technology in hospitality. In my last classes with students online, one recurring question was always, why is there not one solution that can do everything? Once we discussed this more, language requirements, local fiscal reporting, uh, support, etc., the students got the complexity of using software and systems to run the businesses, but moving forward, future managers are going to want their hospitality software to behave more like WhatsApp, Instagram, or even Snapchat. Download, install, and just simply work. No training or massive configuration needed or to be done. So where does this leave us as an industry? Do we keep going with our Lego approach or do we need to say, hang on, that's enough. Let's restart from scratch and what would that look like and how could we conceivably do that? So I'd like to uh, now basically move uh, over to Floor and Floor's input from uh, that panel, and I'll just take a context out of there. Floor says that there's two ways out of this, a single platform that meets most of the needs of our hotels, similar to a core banking system or a CRM for retail, or microservices based mini apps that talk to each other via open and standard APIs. So he believes that the last one is where we should go and it will give us the benefit of a single system as well as the opportunity to innovate and customize based on the needs of a hotel or brand. So Floor, I'd like to you know, start by basically saying you've managed the challenge of moving from legacy to more modern centralized solutions throughout your career and in recent years. You're also currently serving, as I said, as president of HTNG, which is an organization that aims to identify and set industry technology standards. So many say in our industry that there is a long way to go uh, technology-wise to catch up to the other sectors such as uh, manufacturing or retail. 
We've had open systems and marketplaces for some time now, and we're seeing more and more mini apps come through those services that are being delivered via open API services. Yet there still seems to be a lot of discussion around innovation itself and how openness will spur innovation. So based on our current landscape and your roles at Accor and HTNG, are you seeing the needed innovation from where you're sitting at the moment? And do these solutions meet the needs of brands such as Accor and any other international chains? So thank you. Um, that's a lot of uh, questions. <laughs> Uh, first of all, I didn't say that the uh, the, the AP, open API is the way to go per se. I think it's also it would also be a great solution to have uh, uh, like a CRM or an ERP for hospitality that just does everything uh, for everyone. And and it's funny because I've in, in many of my jobs I was responsible for uh, non-hospitality as well. So for example, retail. Uh, we had a food production company, education, and in those it actually actually is like that. They have one system that does everything uh, for them. We are very uh, unique in that we need uh, 50 plus uh, different systems to uh, to run a single hotel. But that that aside, uh, you asked us, uh, you asked me uh, where we are in, in terms of innovation. And I, I think um, it's, it's not really a technical issue anymore because if you look at all the new systems they are open, they are based on microservices, they have open APIs, they can uh, talk to each other. It's as much a, um, a commercial issue, and especially for the, the big uh, legacy uh, dinosaurs that we have in the industry. So even the big ones, they say, hey, um, we're now uh, open and we, we publish our APIs and no problem. But then the next hurdle is, uh, that you actually have to pay for it. And that is stifling innovation as well. So uh, they're really holding us back with that. So it's, it's nice to say if, uh, we're open uh, and we publish our APIs. But if you then have to pay a massive certification fee or uh, even worse, after that, uh, there is some meterage done on the API and you pay for it some other way, you're still stopping innovation. It's not worth it. Um, on top of that, we still, of course, deal with uh, legacy platforms, and that's especially true for the uh, uh, for the large hotel chains. Uh, they all have big uh, ERS systems that were made built 10, 20 years ago, loyalty systems that are ancient, uh, and, and they're just not uh, ready for this. So the good news is that um, there's uh, uh, companies that saw this uh, opportunity and jumped right in it. So you have Happy and Impala and there are others as well that happily sit in between the old and the new. And they kind of uh, enable those platforms to act like a modern uh, uh, system with open APIs uh, and microservices. So I think uh, for the interim, uh, they do a good job, but they don't resolve the commercial issue. That is still really, really big. Uh, we still pay to connect to our own uh, systems and to our own data. And that is something unique to this industry. And, and it's it's baked into the business models of, of many of the big guys. And, and it's very hard for them to let go of that. Okay, great. We'll come back to some of those points that you mentioned before, because I think there's some very interesting ones in there. But before we do, I'd like to just also come to Andrew and ask Andrew after um, you know your recent focus with Red Carnation has been to coordinate and navigate their IT needs through uh, your future growth. And the department that you managed uh, has a staff of over 2,000 staff within seven countries. And I noticed that Red Carnation aspired to 20 hotels last year 
uh, pre-COVID, which of course may have been adjusted uh, since then. But based on that, and, and even prior to that, how were you approaching delivering a scalable and stable IT platform that provided digital services not only for, for your users on both sides, so hotel users, but also your guests, because our guests that are coming are also users of our technology to a degree. So what were your priority factors when future-proofing the company's IT infrastructure, and how did you find the landscape that was available to you? Yeah, that's a great question there, Andre. Thank you. So I think um, looking at looking at us as a brand, um, all of our hotels are quite unique. So they all have quite unique products, quite unique offerings, quite unique services. So there isn't a one size fits all solution for us as a brand. So, you know, we, we set out with a series of baselines. So there are certain things that we will do as a business and decisions that we make as a business. Um, but because the each of our hotels has a different product set, we can't necessarily uh, put something in place for hotel A that will also work for hotel B. So we do have a, a, a best of breed approach. And so that comes back to, to Floor's point quite nice. Floor's point quite nicely. There are certain things that, you know, we, we are in danger of trying to make a square peg fit a round hole. But worse than that, we also might be trying to shape our hotels' offerings around the technology stack. So, you know, trying to make the uh, uh, the round hole square. So that's even worse. Um, so we we tend to, yeah, to to just reiterate, we've got the the standard baseline which will work for for us globally. And then depending on each of the hotels, we'll need to adjust that technology stack or add layers upon top of it um, to suit that individual product uh, offering. Yeah. Yeah, I find that's always been a challenge within the industry as a whole. What, what fits or what works for branded chains on, on the top end of our market isn't necessarily what's going to work for smaller independents or regional groups and chains. And I think uh, that, I mean, there are many factors that have been a challenge for us, but I think that's also one is how that, that technology almost ripples down. And, and again, I'm, I've mentioned HTNG for a few reasons because I'd like to come back to that as well as a point, because we do have industry um, I guess, champions that are trying to, to set certain standards. And I'd, I'd like to try to figure how how they can also play a role in this. But before we get there, um, Ian, I'd like to bring you into the conversation. Part of your own feedback to your question in the panel was that, uh, and, I'm, and I'm taking a piece out of what you wrote, uh, this generation of future hospitality leaders has grown up with out-of-the-box, easy-to-use solutions. So, you know, you highlight that, very well, but I'd also like to ask you, as an educator to the future generation of, of industry leaders, do you or do some operating practices also need to change? In your opinion, is it seems that from Anna Sophia's comments and her perspective that operations have been trying, as uh, Andrew just said, to force a, a square peg into a round hole. Um, so when it comes to technology, and perhaps is there a compromise needed on both sides? So not only from tech, but also do we need to change anything operationally so that we have a better mindset towards how we can work with tech? Yeah, I, mean, I think the you know, first point is, is when, I, when I wrote the, the, the viewpoint, you know, made the comparison of op operational tech to sort of, you know, the Snapchat, Instagram um, you know, in a way, I did on purpose, you know, just to be a little bit contentious and actually got quite a bit of grief for it. You know, there is an unfair comparison. Um, you know, then really why I wrote this, you know, why I think this is interesting discussion is, um, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to take the the claim, you know, is remember Carson Booth saying this, you know, 
the younger generation are not technology savvy, they're technology dependent. And really what I hear at the time is, you know, there's a lot of frustration going on of, you know, as Floor mentioned, oh, why do I have to pay so much to set my own mm. systems up together? You know, and it's the, the students I'm teaching, like Anna Sophia and others, you know, their level of patience, you know, and taking months to do things um, is not really there. You know, they're, they're jumping on a Google Drive, they're sharing stuff, they're downloading. I just had one team this morning, you know, they're doing a prototype for, for an app. You know, they found a free online uh, system to do this. And, you know, and I hear it all the time when they come back from internship. Oh, my God, I was using this PMS, you know, just please never again. Um, you know, so it's what point being is, you know, this is a, a question with Anna Tafia is, you know, I think the hospitality tech world is a great place for students to get involved in. I think people like ourselves and not just us in other schools, the hey, whoever it is, are turning out some great talent. But yet I think we're also turning the students and the future leaders off when it comes to tech because they come into our existing world and like, oh, really? And I think that's the, the viewpoint I was trying to get across of, um, you know, is it fair to say that, you know, PMS should act like Instagram, probably, should it not be something we should at least aspire to and at mm. least try to do for moving forward for the users, et cetera? Probably, yeah. But again, you know, I can sit here in my little world and say that I'm not floor trying to put this in place or Andrew or Adam actually building this for industry. So I have that bit of a unique position. But, you know, that's why I brought out, you know, this comment and challenge because I think we need to be having the discussion. Oh, I 100% agree with you. Um, and I'm going to come to the UI um, perspective of it from Adam's, as Adam's perspective as the technology provider. But before we do, um, I'd also like to just make a comment around the, you also said that systems will have to improve UI to give a better overall experience or risk being abandoned. Uh, a different approach by independent and chains will obviously become obvious as their needs differ. I, I, I kind of want to put it to, to uh, Andrew and to Flora as well. Um, with WhatsApp or with Instagram, we have to remember that these are B2C products that were built around a very basic original platform. The commercial models around those, those products was built with the product in many ways. Whereas what our tech providers are trying to do is build technology solutions that have already got very established commercial product or commercial models in place. And I think mm -hmm. trying to, to marry that, that those two up has been perhaps one of the biggest challenges. Um, I see, Andrew, you're nodding your head there. Mm -hmm. So I want to just come back to, to you guys, taking the whole UI perspective into account. Um, do you agree that the UI needs to be basically, obviously it needs to have a better offer and, and solution, but if so, how do we work with the technology providers uh, as an industry to make that happen. Andrew, would you like to start? So I think um, let's let's look at Ian's, Ian's comparison, the, the WhatsApp, the Instagram comparison. I think the legacy technologies that we've got at the moment tend to be Swiss Army Knife products. They do a bit of everything, and they end up being um, a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I think... The, the concept of breaking things down into smaller products that interact with each other um, uh, as seamlessly as one product would do. And that is a reasonable expectation today, here and now today, um, so that you end up with the best of breed, right? A technology product that does just one thing really, really well uh, and talks to the other products in the family. 
I mean, that, that seems to me to be the inevitable direction of travel because we can see that in, in other verticals, not just hospitality. We can see it everywhere. So that seems like an inevitability to me. I'm also forced to think of, you know, at the moment we have DevOps. What comes after DevOps? Potentially dev users. And it could very well be that the next generation of people that leave school, that you leave universities, are actually quite fluent in API languages and so on. So Floor's point is really, really valid here. We are looking at uh, long-term commercial models that have been baked into this industry for decades, and nobody really challenges it. But sooner or later, you won't need a specialist technician to write an API to make application A talk to middleware B. It'll be something that potentially users can do for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Floor, can I get you to comment as well on that? Yeah, sure. The, the importance of UI, uh, of course, uh, it's important, but uh, I have a bit of a yes and no answer to this, I think. Um, we need to do much better because it's ridiculous that uh, if you implement a system in a hotel that you need two, three weeks of training and, and uh, a ma massive amount of support uh, in order to do that. And I know there are systems now that, that do much better. Um, on the other hand, it's not that simple because obviously these WhatsApps and, and the, the Instagrams of this world, when they started, they were good at doing one thing, only one thing, and often a very simple thing, yeah. sending a message from one person to another, and that is very self-explanatory. Running complex rate plans and distribution platforms, uh, it's a different story. So I think it's unfair to compare it to the UX of WhatsApp um, we should maybe uh, compare it to the UX of a, uh, uh, you know, a flight control tower or something. I'm sure that is not that simple either, um, because that is what it is. If you're in a reservations department or in an, uh, running a, a front desk. Um, the other part why it's not really fair is I think, uh, especially like Facebook and Uber, they probably have a little bit more money to spend on UX than, than uh, what we have in the, in the industry here. And they've gone wrong many times as well, but they yeah. have... Uh, such a huge number of users and such a massive amount of developers working on it that it doesn't matter. So they go wrong every day, I think a thousand times a day, and then they'll just go for something else that uh, yeah. uh, that does uh, that does work. But I like uh, Andrew's uh, solution. I think that is where we end up. Then we need to find a way to chop them into manageable pieces and then uh, mm -hmm. put them together into one uh, easy-to-use uh, user experience. Yeah, I'd like to just challenge you on, on that in terms of the investment of technology, because I agree with you. Um, obviously, those big companies have larger, larger budgets to invest into their development. However, um, it's not like we haven't had uh, funds to invest into or to reinvest into technology. And a good example is, I mean, you, our industry as a whole, if you look at it from a global perspective, we're a $100 billion industry, yet we only reinvest around 5% of that, if we're lucky, back into technology. So how do we explain that? Because I think that in many ways also is a question we should be asking ourselves. Why is it that we don't value technology enough to be able to actually invest more into it? And I'm speaking from my own personal experience. When I was working in global chains, I know how much was being invested into tech and it's um quite frankly not enough no so I, I think you hit the nail on the head i think because the whole reason why we don't see the innovation the core core to this is is that it's complicated so there's it, it's it's a, a high threshold to get in 
but then the rewards are very low because we don't spend money. So the yeah. um, and five percent is uh, it's generous what you say because yeah. that's what I've seen. It's more like a two two and a half. We're right, right at the bottom of yeah. any industry in the world when it comes to spending. On top of that, the spend is scattered around the world in mini micro spends everywhere. It's not that there is one big Facebook or one big Accor that can just buy a new PMS system for all the hotels uh, worldwide. You have to deal with thousands of owners that all need to uh, buy into that. So it, it's decentralized spend and it's not enough. And and for many uh, tech companies, this is not, not worth it. It's uh, too yeah. complicated for too little return. Yeah. All right. Adam had his hand up earlier. Adam, would you like to make a comment? I, I was just going to add, I, I think part of this is a commercial and marketplace. It's very fragmented. You have a lot of legacy technology. Last count, my team had on Hotel Tech Report, you had over a thousand technology providers, many of which have never reached scale, right? And so a core has a different need than a five-room B&B. And the scale of the systems, the API calls, the redundancy, the fiscal reporting in different parts of the world is not necessarily doable with a team that's bootstrapped and picked themselves up from scratch. And so we also have an issue where, while I fully support as a technology provider that can slide a box across the table and pretty much power any property in the world today, we do believe that microservices and the ability to have flexibility inside an application is critical. But if you go down to the root of it, it's not a user interface issue. It's a user experience of how we run hotels today. It, I'm an outsider. I'm, I'm the one who has the least amount of experience on this panel with, with how the day-to-day -day operations. But when I first came to this industry, I saw a, a graphic of 25 different systems with squiggly lines that are interconnected. And I thought to myself, this is crazy. We have plenty of examples of verticalized software that bring industry forwards and actually reduce the cost of operating. And so when we think about user experience, we go down to the fundamentals. You need three parts of it. You need the guest, you need the operations, and then you need the data that runs behind the scenes that continually improves both sides of those two pillars. And when we think about where training comes into play, the ease of use aspect, the flexibility of openness and all those terms that I'm hearing, you know, the, the analogy between why WhatsApp is so beautiful, you could send a text message anywhere in the world, it came at a cost. And WhatsApp took something that was beautifully complicated and made it beautifully simple. And if I think about what we're ultimately trying to accomplish as an industry right now is if we look over 12 years, you know, RevPAR is going up and up pretty much in every market in the world. But GoPAR has remained flat. And that widening distance is a result of more operational costs that are going into a hotel. Technology can solve that through automation. And so by daisy chaining more stuff on, we're just complicating the day-to-day -day operations. We're not simplifying it down. And so CloudBeds, as a result, has... Um, gotten very lucky, but also for a good reason, we've excelled as a result of that brokenness. We've concentrated on being laser focused with our delivery of our product and go back to the root cause, make it super easy to change a system, make it super easy to train a staff, eliminate as many steps as we possibly can for daily operations, and then let the hotelier figure out who they really are, who's their audience, what experiences they want to offer. And then they can shape the technology around that. But it's a who question. 
that I think we're still trying to figure out as an industry. Okay, excellent. Um, I, I just want to also come back to a, another comment now from one of the uh, panelists that, that added uh, her comment, and that's from Sophie Pomois. Sophie, I hope I pronounced your surname correctly. Uh, she's an independent hospitality technology consultant, and her, her comment is essentially that it's simply a dream to think that one integrated solution will do the job. Um, what we need as an industry is essentially easy to install industrialized standardized connectivity tools, open and public APIs, which operate as a plug and play environment. Again, we've been saying that for a long, long time now. This is nothing new. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of coming back to the single, she also comments on how critical data is, is by having a single data, a single source of truth for data. And this always seems to come back into the conversation as well. Um, Ian, what do you think is the answer here when it comes to single source data? How can we as an industry legally centralize and have access to the data that's needed to streamline and maximize the current open platforms that actually do offer the available APIs to connect to? Because they're there now, but a lot of people are saying, well, the data is so messed up and there's so many, there's so many different silos. Um, we do need to work on that. I know Nick Price is working on this as well at the moment on a, on a side project, which I'm, I think should be interesting. But until we get something there, we're still in the same position. So, Ian, I'd like to start with you. And Sophia, Anna Sophia, I will come to you in a moment. So bear with me. I haven't forgotten. Uh, Ian, if you would just like to comment. Okay, yeah, then I'll keep my part short so we can get to the interesting stuff with Anna Sophia. Um, the, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, there's a lot of talk around... Um, you know, obviously data, you know, you know, probably, you know, Flora and Andy, you're dealing with obviously with a lot more than, than we do in a schooler, um, you know, but obviously, you know, where you operate, geography, GDPR come in, the different systems, you know, so we're still living in this sort of this, you said, siloed world um, of data. I think, you know, that's going to, I think if we get better, you know, as Flora said, you know, have the systems talking about like the guys at Impala, et cetera, that will help us do better with data. Um, I think as well, you know, the technology aside, you know, a little bit picking up um, for me, like an undercurrent in this um, is also, you know, it's the mindset of the people involved. Um, you know, not us in what we're talking here, you know, but as Adam, as you said, you know, speaking to the hotel operators, you know, there's still far too many who don't get data the power of data, what can be done with it. Um, you know, you I'm going to say, would you respect your traditional hotelier? Um, you know, the world we're talking about is just like, you know, they want to stick their head in the sand. Um, you know, if I look at where we're taking it again with our students, you know, we have an elective on big data. We now have a course for every student on computational thinking on Python. Uh, you can take an elective on programming. You know, so for us, it's important to give these what I would call these digital skills, because, you know, as a student like Anna Sophia or whoever coming through now, graduating now, yes, you're not going to be a GM or whatever in the next one, two, three years, but you're going to get to that point. And of course, our goal is to prepare people to be the best possible managers that they can be, you know, and us in other schools, we're preparing, you know, people like Anna Sophia with this skill set. Um, you know, which one I think is a great thing to do, needed to do, you know, so hopefully, you know, Adam, when you're talking to hoteliers in a few years time, you know, they're just going to get the stuff, the tech world a lot, lot better than currently. So I think it's also that we have a lot of barriers enforcing the budgets. You know, one example I always use, I know a hotel in Paris where the annual budget for flowers is more than tech. 
Um, you know, that sort of summarizes it pretty, pretty simple. Um, yeah, it does. Okay. I, Anna Sophia, I'd like to come to you now because you, in, as part of the, the, the panel, you also made uh, some interesting comments. And I, again, I took one out that I, th I thought was very interesting. And that was, even though I have become adept in using multiple systems in one single property, the complications which are created still surprise me, especially when in real life we have the simplest communication tools. So based on everything that you've heard now leading up to this point in this conversation and also on the systems that you worked with uh, in the time that you were doing it, can you, single, can you perhaps single out one complication that surprised you the most? And how would you propose it be resolved with the mindset of a product such as WhatsApp or Instagram that, that perhaps might work better for, for someone that's coming to it with, with your thinking and your generational thinking? Thank you. So one complication that I for sure noticed a couple of times because it continued to happen over and over during my time as an uh, front office intern is that you have a customer coming at the reception, right? And the first thing which is taught to you is that you go on the system and try to find uh, his name on the system and try to find a customer profile. And so many times it just happened that you look him up, you look the person up and you find an incomplete profile or not even a profile at all. So obviously the next question that comes to your mind to ask the customer is, oh, sir, madam, um, is it actually the first time that you're staying with us? And you notice when the customer answers with a quite annoying tone of voice and he says, no, it's actually the second time I'm staying already here. And at that point, I think you know that something went wrong because I think this is such a crucial moment in the customer journey where you have this first physical interaction with the customer and that you really need to give an impeccable first impression. And I think this comes, and it happened to me as well, especially at the beginning, it was a disaster, when I had to get used to those kind of systems, like how to input the right information of which part, what are the right features, how do the features even work? So I think one example that we can really leverage from um, applications like Instagram or Facebook is for sure the instant um, and the intuitive design. Because it's self-explanatory. If you think about it, every single 15-year-old nowadays knows how to create a profile on Facebook, uh, post a picture on Instagram, and so on. So I think this is something, this, this simplicity, that we can really start maybe implementing in our industry as well and just render and use the technology actually as an enabler instead of creating unnecessary frustration from the employer point of view, but also from the customer perspective, because I remember the first time I did check-ins, I was literally so focused on implementing the data correctly in the system that I completely even forgot about the customer. So I think that's something we could leverage from them. Yeah, that's not an uncommon uh, feeling that, that uh, even I think most of us have had when we work at the front at the front desk. It hasn't changed over the years. Mm. Um, we have a question from, from John Burns, which I'd like to also just bring in based on this. He says the hotel industry is experiencing difficulty attracting staff back to properties after obviously the furloughs. Um, are our complex and user unfriendly systems one of the reasons that they don't want to return? Floor, would you like to start? Yeah, sure. We have exactly this problem uh, uh, right now uh, that we reopening hotels and uh, many of them have been home for a year, uh, often with government support and uh, many of them found other things to do. So uh, and they found them more interesting. Um, 
I'm not sure if it uh, has anything to do with the systems or maybe it's not helping, but I think there's other issues in our industry that make it unattractive for people to, to come in. And I think uh, it links very well, well with what Anna Sophie was saying. Um, this recognition, uh, it's not only a system issue. I know, I know you young people want everything to work automatically, but it's also a job. You need to work for it when you're there. You're being paid to do it. So um, I think part of the problem uh, there is not just the systems, because the systems are, many of the systems will recognize a guest and there you have loyalty programs and some are even very well automated. It's also the turnover that we have and the skills that we hire. There's not a, uh, the, the person that you find at the front desk is normally not a hotelier. Uh, especially not in Europe, um, it's not a professional uh, hotel uh, person. So they're there uh, to make some money uh, on the on the side, and they're not very interested uh, often to uh, to do a good job. And and we see that uh, a lot. If you go to Asia or the Middle East, it's very different, uh, and you will be recognized when you go to the front office there, even in a cheaper hotel with uh, with a bad uh, with a bad system. So to answer to John's question. Uh, I'm sure the systems are not helping, but I don't think that is the deciding factor for people not to come back and work uh, work with us. There are other much more uh, important issues like pay, education, uh, etc. Yeah, long work hours. No, I tend to agree. We have another question from Catherine Murphy, um, and she's asking the panel if you agree that to get the most from integrations, that there needs to be a content management system for content management systems. This would make it exponentially easier to try out new technologies without having to spend weeks configuring them. I mean content like city guides, transport information or property information, and tech like unified inbox, in-room tablet apps, et cetera. Andrew, what do you think? That's a very complicated question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I've understood it, but I might come off piece a little bit here. Um, yeah, where do we start with that? I'm not really sure I can answer that straight up. I we've been here before we've been to uh, a, a place where you end up doing technology for technology's sake and you use technology to manage other technology and the thing is if it's not there people do what people do and they solve the problem for themselves so all of those challenges have got some kind of solution in place already the question to ask is is the solution that's there resistive and labor intensive and can it be automated um rather than do we need a product to manage products? I think that's the question that's being asked there. So I think I've, <laughs> I think that's an, a non-point answer. Excuse me if I'm slightly off here. Well, we can always go back as well. Um, once these questions, they're gonna be in the, in the comments anyway. So we as a panel can always go back later and, and, and answer questions as well with the people that have asked. So uh, Andre, maybe I can add to that. I think it's very much in line with what Andrew was saying before, if we have, microservices that connect to each other. There should be a microservice for content management as well and content of different sorts that then can be reused by any application that needs it. Yeah, absolutely. Adam, do you have any comment there as well as obviously from your seat? I, I think it's a great point. I, depending on what your experience is at your hotel, you have a different purpose on what that guest journey to Anna Sophia's comment, right? A hotelier should be focused on driving and in, in perfecting that guest experience based on the concept or brand that their hotel ultimately serves for. And so depending on what that service, ser that service model looks like, I might not have a front desk in a digital world that exists today. I don't need that. I can have an app that has content. It can have 
insight on a city. It can do tours and events. It can have tools that allow me to communicate, right? If, if you look at high touch experience, St. Regis uses text message. That's their high touch model, right? Text messaging has been around for 18 years versus, you know, other concepts have gone all digital and you have these really smart content engines that are downloadable to your phone. So I, I think the, the purpose of what everyone's talking with, and I agree with Floor, once the information is available, grabbing it and fetching it and repackaging it in a million different ways should be completely doable and consumable yeah. by both the consumer as well as the operator. And it just depends on what you ultimately need for your brand. Okay. Any other comment from anyone before we move on? So, Andre, if I can ask you, could you jump back to John's point? Please, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think no one's going to be set at home for a year for and go, mm, I'm not going to go back to work because I don't like my PMS system. Uh, I don't think we're at that point. Uh, but I think you know, what is something you know, we're hearing a lot is, you know, on the fourth point, people who have worked in hospitality and being furloughed have suddenly realized, well, it's actually quite nice being at home on a Wednesday night at 8 p.m. having dinner with the family, uh, you know, that I never had before. And I think what we're going to be suffering with this is getting, you know, Staffing's always been an issue mm -hmm. in hospitality, you know, the tech part aside, you know, of attracting people, retaining people. Uh, and I think, again, you know, this is the perfect time where, you know, as Adam said, you know, we, you know work on things like do. Point is, if we go back to the way we were before, I think it's going to get even worse. We need to look at ways we can use tech to enable not even staff reduction because we're not we're going to reducing staff. We're not mm -hmm. going to have the people coming back. You know, and if I take an example here in Switzerland, you know, the minimum wage was down to three and a half thousand Swiss francs a month, mm -hmm. four thousand. You know, if yeah. you're a hotelier, you are going to want to say, if I can reduce my staffing a little bit through better tech, you know, maybe no longer reception, I'm just going to do kiosk check-in, you know, but with more of a retail meet and greet um, because it's money. So, you know, it's going to, that's, I think it's an interesting point because it's going to be difficult to get out of this. Okay. Anna Sophia, yeah, I, I, please comment. I'd like to ask you another question, but please go ahead. At this point, like we found ourselves now in COVID, so everything became much more touchless. So I think now is really the opportunity where we have those tedious moments that you have to do in a reception, literally, uh, where you're talking, taking up the phone to speak to your uh, customers, they're up in a room and they always ask the same couple of questions, right? I think you can literally save there a little bit and make it more like use uh, technology to enable that service that the customer gets what he expects, but just render it for the employer or employee easier. He doesn't have to do every single time over and over the same stuff. I think that's just more satisfying as well. Yeah. Yeah. Another question I wanted to ask you as well, based on what you've heard from, from the folks here and, and also from John's comment, as a future leader in our industry, as a future person coming into the industry to work, are you yourself feeling the technology is going to be a barrier for you? If you feel that the, that the technology doesn't meet your generational expectations, does that make you perhaps rethink your career overall? Well, I have to say, I, I'm still very beginner in the technology industry. So for sure, at the beginning, it's going to be a challenge. But uh, as Mr. Miller said before, we, our generation is a sport generation. We literally are used a few clicks and get everything what we need. Now, when we're working on our SVP project, for example, we literally use three different channels. We have Outlook Teams, we have a OneDrive, and we have WhatsApp. And that's all we need. 
So I think if we can start implementing this kind of uh, way of working also in the hospitality industry, I don't think it's going to be a big challenge. Of course, we as um, future coming into the industry, we need to adapt even to current state. Like we cannot imagine that now just because we are entering as a new generation, everything is going to change. I don't believe that, but there needs an adaption for sure. Yeah. Yeah, good. Okay. Um, just coming back to uh, the panel's input as well, Mike Ford, who's the uh, founder and MD at Sightminder, also left quite an interesting comment. And I'm pulling a piece out from his now as well, where he says that we need to educate hoteliers about these challenges. Importantly, we need to work together to provide technology that truly prepares hoteliers for a constantly changing landscape that grows in complexity and uncertainty by the day. So, um, Floor, again, coming back to, to Mike's comment here in terms of working together, taking that into account, and obviously with organizations such as HTNG, and I mean, there's others, there's Hedna, there's, there's a whole bunch of different organizations out there who, um, you know, for example, were established actually really for this kind of reason, right? Um, yet it seems overall we still haven't solved that puzzle. And, and with all of the good work that HTNG has done and those other organizations, could you put your finger on perhaps why? Why is it that there still seems to be this? Yeah, so, so first of all, I think we are in a, in a very unique situation where we have uh, an organization like HTNG, where the whole industry is really coming together in, in like a uh, non-competing environment and, and we really work together. Uh, I know all the other CIOs, I know most of the vendors and, and it's... Uh, a very friendly and, and tight community that we're in. I can guarantee you that the HR managers in our industry don't have something like that, or the finance managers, uh, mm -hmm. they don't have something like that. But that doesn't answer your question uh, because I think we all know what needs to be done and, and we're all happily uh, working together to get there in those work groups and everything. The, the, the problem is what we uh, mentioned uh, earlier. I think to scale something in hospitality is so hard we're so decentralized by nature and not just geographically that is one problem because every country is different uh, and needs a different approach and we're in, in everywhere in the world in every corner um, but we're also very decentralized from an ownership perspective so we have a lot of owners that each own a, a little bit uh, of the piece there are no no big owners that can can make a change so for in order for us to to drive a change, we need to influence uh, a lot of people, and that is uh, that is that is uh, difficult. And then, of course, uh, what you started with, uh, the money is an important driver here to get the money to make those changes uh, and to, to do this at scale uh, and to get the big uh, companies interested in doing this. Uh, we don't have them at the moment. So. Mm -hmm. uh, Melissa Sloan has made uh, an interesting comment here in, in saying that essentially our associations are, are a part of the issue actually um, because everyone is protective of their own space. We don't take it beyond the level of discussion. This is why our industry falls so far behind. Uh, would any of you like to comment on that, Adam? Well, I, I mean, I think a, a great analogy is if, if every hotel in a city maintained rates at a certain level and didn't drop and compete with one another at some degree, as soon as one person makes a change, everything happens. And so all it takes is one technology solution to hold out. If you just look at booking.com and their open standards, they're locking down their standards 
in actually moving away from some of the sort of global OTA uh, level standards. And, and I'm not trying to single it out. That's happened across the board on most major OTAs. So it just takes one, and then everyone else is going to start drifting away from what the association ultimately wants to do. And so it might just be a lost cause, but instead the associations could be impacting the directional change of where our industry could be going in driving education, advocacy, the, the adoption of technology and sort of prolificating what we ultimately want to do in those areas. I just, I just always wonder, you know, we're obviously a big supporter of HDNG. I have people on your, on, on the advisory committees and, and whatnot um, from distribution perspective. And so like, I think they're really important, but their purpose has to stop at some point and then rally not a discussion, but actually change. You know, one of the mm -hmm. things that we, we loved about the industry right when COVID hit all of the work to try to drive rates for frontline workers. We had hospitality help, Airbnb had something else, Sideminder partnered with another group. Everyone actually rallied together to some example of trying to solve for getting rates out there to people who needed a, a warm and safe place to stay. But there's momentum that, that we could build on and actually build standards that for FEMA events or things like that, that actually could be useful for the world instead of being competitive um, from a technology perspective. And so I think that's where I see HTNG and, you know, the American Hotel Lodging Association and others that are trying to forward our industry. That's that's when I get excited. No, I, I agree with you. And it, it doesn't help that we always sit with the same bunch of guys or girls around the table talking about the same things. Um, Having said that, we've been very supportive of, uh, of, of startups and there is no lack of uh, great ideas in our industry. There are many, many, and I've seen them over the years. They're, they're great ideas, but somehow they don't make it uh, uh, over the finish line. Uh, they stop somewhere. They, they get discouraged because it's so hard to integrate. They get discouraged because the funding dries up. Uh, they get discouraged because it's really complicated to roll a product out in multiple countries around the world, which is needed for hotel chain. So there's many reasons why, why not to do it. Uh, and uh, But no lack of, uh, of, of good ideas. They're absolutely out there. Yeah, it always seems to be that that's kind of like the core issue, isn't it? Because there are, as you said, Flora, a, a number of great ideas and some of them actually break through and, and find success and are able to build on that. But obviously a lot aren't. So. Um, again, I kind of it comes back to what we raised earlier on in our conversation in that, you know, it seems like from our industry, technology direction is driven primarily, and please feel free to interject here if you think I'm wrong, but if, it seems to be driven primarily from the top end of the industry, the global brands and chains, they seem, the decisions seem to be made at that type of level. And then everything else thereafter, as the long as the tail gets longer, seems to be kind of a piecemeal fit. And and I think this is where the, this fragmentation has has occurred. And and, I, and Adam, I mean, you may feel that again. You work very closely with a lot of these types of organisations and, and 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 properties. So um, I, I don't know. I just feel like there there has to be more of a line between what's going on at the top end versus what's happening in the longer end. I struggle with that because obviously I'm in, in a space where I'm able to power any property in the world. And we've been very sort of fortunate with our success. I mean, I think at last count, it's like 1.75 million beds in the world are powered on cloud beds. That's a pretty sizable, you know, portion of the supply out there. And then this is in 157 countries. And so we're taking best 
in class architecture, microservices, um, standards that the industry in other industries are using, um, you know, from AWS technology all the way down to the way we treat data and data lakes and warehousing. I mean, like it's state of the art. We're starting at the bottom because we felt like that's where momentum could be built and change could really happen quickly. That's also the largest supply section of the world for this industry. And we're working our way up. And we know that sometimes it's probably a lot harder to work your way down because you're taking overcomplicated and you're trying to simplify that down. The, the, the beauty of what we're ultimately doing is it, it, it's simple. Like I slide a box across the table and I know there's, there's issues with that in, in concepts um, in, in, in certain types of properties. But the reality is we don't do everything. We're not a jack of all trades, but we do a lot really well. I don't like the term PMS. I don't like the term CRS. I don't like the term of any of those acronyms mm -hmm. that we use. There's no point to them anymore. They need to go away. What we're going to be using for the future is hybrid. And, and ultimately, if we can help along the way and support properties and help them customize their solution and in the way they think about it, we're doing our part, but we need others to do that as well. We need to gain scale. We need universities to train on new systems and new approaches, but everyone who said, everyone who's talked to us today is, is spot on. <coughs> We've already hit control alt delete. The reset happened 10 years ago. It just was accelerated by, by uh, um, COVID. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Look, uh, we are coming up towards the end of time and there are a couple of other questions that we'll get to. But before we do, um, Ian, I know you wanted to also just make a mention of uh, what's coming up. Speaking of industry associations and, and, and organizations trying to make life better for everybody in our industry, would you like to just speak to this at all? Yes, it does very quickly. So thank you, Andre. So starting, <clears throat> obviously, we can't do high tech Europe uh, physically. So we have been working as an advisory council, setting up a, uh, a virtual high tech. Uh, so this will be uh, every Wednesday afternoon, 4 p.m. CET, uh, starting on the 26th, uh, going through 23rd of June. And just to say thank you for Intel for sponsoring us and helping us on this. Um, <clears throat> we have the session set up. We're finalizing the speakers. Um, for me, one very interesting piece that we're doing this for the first time, and this also links a little bit into some of the comments here about sort of the the way the industry works, you know, especially country-wise. So after each main topic and session, there are going to be uh, language-specific breakout rooms um, in French, German, Spanish, and English. And those people who have those local geographical concerns um, can get together um, and discuss and talk in their own language, culture, etc. Uh, so we're trying that out for the first time. Hopefully, that's going to be a success. So. Uh, Looking for, please, more information, hftp.org. And, of course, it's a free sign-up to join. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that sounds very exciting. Hopefully that will uh, generate some good interest for you as well. Um, okay, we have a, a comment here from Mark Fancourt, which I think is pretty much in line with what we've just been speaking about as well. He says that as an operational industry, we need to worry less about technology architecture, given we don't generally do in-house development, and trust in the state of technology and focus on the operational layers and the tools that bring a better product and service. Now, again, Andrew, from your experience, would you agree with a comment like that, or do you think that you could actually um, yeah. go deeper into it? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with Mark on that. I think we're not very good sometimes at taking a moment to just rationalize what problem are we trying to solve? And 
what's important, what's more important than the technology that provides that is the concept of that. You know, actually, what problem is it we're trying to solve? And the, the solution might be one technology product, more than one technology product, or more than technology. It could be also people, it could be other things. So I think conceptualizing the problem that you're trying to solve and then fitting solutions around that is, is the right angle to take. We are in danger, and it does happen a lot of the times, so that we will rush at uh, we'll rush at solutions looking for problems to solve. Uh, there's, you know, it's, it's a very confused marketplace, especially right now after COVID. We've got tons of contactless technology, and, and it's, it's very easy to overinvest in stuff that may not actually solve your problem. Um, so that's, that's my feeling on that. So I definitely agree with Mark on that. Yes, thank you. Okay, great. Well, we are coming up to, to the hour, so I'd like to um, just close out by asking each of you to give a recommendation to our industry, and I know it's a big ask, but I'd like you to try to come up with one if you can, on how we can resolve this. Um, and I'll start with Anna Sophia, because I think um, obviously being the, the next generation coming in and with the experience that you've had so far and everything that you've heard in this conversation today, um, how do you feel is a way forward? Mm, I think I'm going to repeat myself a little bit of what I've mentioned before. Uh, I think we are slowly, slowly tapping in the right direction. Uh, I think we need still some changes in the industry. I think the younger generation needs to adapt, uh, adapt how it has worked until now, but there are definitely some modernization of technology needed. Okay, great. Thank you. Ian? Um, yeah, the, the, uh, the person who could answer this correctly is going to be a multimillionaire in one minute. Huh? Um, <clears throat> No, and again, you know, I think you know, Phil's point that the dialogue of HTNG, um, I think, is a great point. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, <clears throat> I think, it's a different conversation for groups and chains for independence. I mean, I think there's so many conundrums involved in this. Um, but I think, you know, for me, one of the main starting points is, you know, advocating the role of technology. You know, as Andrew said, you know, what this can enable. Um, in the industry and getting the mindset of the hoteliers to start taking this a little bit more um, importantly. And it's not just that horrible tech expensive stuff. Uh, I think that could be a great starting point. Mm. Okay, great, thanks. I think that is changing. I think we are seeing that change, um, but I also agree that we need to see more of it. Uh, Floor? I also come back to what I said before. Um, I think uh, money is a huge motivator uh, for for innovation, and um, I think uh, we can do two things. Uh, one, we can wait until the uh, the big companies run out of opportunities to do this in other industries, and they get to us as a long tail and start working on on us, or we can start spending some real money on IT, mm -hmm. and and you will see that things will go uh, a lot quicker. <clears throat> Short of this, uh, we're lucky to have some in-between solutions that we can use, uh, like the, the Happies and Impalas of this world, that will allow us to do some things at a smaller scale uh, much quicker uh, without uh, making a huge investment in the backend. Yeah, okay, great. Thank you. Andrew? I think my advice is to think long-term, make plans now that, that plan ahead for your version of the future, Look sideways, 
see what other industries have similar challenges, not necessarily the same, and just try and take some learnings from that, see if there's any opportunity for you to uh, plagiarize some ideas, contextualize them, and make them into your own roadmap, your own plan. Put solutions around challenges, not the other way around. Don't deliver products and deliver technology stack on stack on stack, looking for problems to solve. Be sure about what target you have, what your problem is, what you're trying to solve, and look for solutions to that. Um, one size doesn't fit all. So just because a different hotel brand that has a different audience from you in a different country with different products does a certain thing doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right thing for you and your brand and your hotel. Um, and then finally, you can only spend it once. So if you make a decision now that doesn't, deliver the solution to your problems, fit into that long-term roadmap, and actually fits your own plan, once you've spent it, you can't unspend it. So uh, do the testing that's necessary, do the, the proof of concept, do whatever it is that you need to find that certainty that is the right investment. Okay, excellent, thanks very much. And Adam, finally with yourself. Uh, I'm gonna echo a lot of what Andrew said, but um, before I, I get into that, I, I just quickly say, you know, the bulk of travelers are now millennials. They're between 24 and 39 years old with Gen Z right behind them. You know, we don't need to get into their abilities with online and or smartphone technology. And they're all ready to resume travel right now. And so I would sort of say to be successful in hospitality, you need to know who you're, you need to know and be honest with yourself. You need to know who your audience is and ultimately right. the experience that you want to create. So that's going to be the answer to shape your technology investment going forward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay, great. And I think um, just from my perspective, I'll throw my three cents in as well here because I come back to Floor's point in terms of how much money are we willing to throw at the issue? And I think money is a very, very big influencer in this issue. And historically, we haven't put enough into it. And I think the combination of having money with, um, with an, an, an innovative mindset of these newer companies coming through uh, with newer users such as Anne Sophia and her generation, I think um, we, we can ultimately get to the point, once we've got the data issue resolved, I think we can get to a, uh, a minutiae, if you like, or a nirvana. All right, um, everybody, thank you so, so much. I've, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation and I, I hope you have as well. And I hope everybody that's watching and tuned in has also enjoyed it. And thank you all very much for your comments and your questions. I just remind everybody here with us today, please don't forget um, if, if you wanna actually tag anybody that's been in this session to ask them a question, please feel free to do that. And, and the panelists, please also, if you get a moment, go back to the comment section and, um, and, and answer any potential questions that I may have missed uh, through the feed here today or any that come through. That would be very much appreciated by everybody. Um, but until then, everyone, thank you so, so much. Stay safe, stay healthy. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you all again soon in the near future. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye.